Pro Games Workshop Faults, they did one thing that's pretty good, and that is create chapters that have no history to them. And that helps you pick a chapter and build it up however you want. The same way you can always build your own chapter by choosing a paint color, paint scheme, and then just doing whatever you wanted with it. It's all nice, but I like the idea of giving something to a thing that's already out there, and that's why I'm doing this on the Auric Patricians right now, because I like them. I've painted quite a few of them, and the combination of gold with black is always a nice option. It's always a nice choice to do, and in my opinion, it always looks nice. They compensate a good-looking paint scheme with no knowledge of lore, so we'll be building something for them, giving them something, because at this point, why not? So, let's start with what we already know, or of what we don't know. We don't know their origins, so we don't know which is their founding chapter that gives birth to them, spawned them. We don't know their Primarch, we don't know when they were made, and yeah, we, we, don't, we don't know anything. We do know that they are Codex compliant, which is interesting. So we're gonna have to build from nothing. But as I said multiple times, it's easier to build from nothing than to build on top of something and try to make two constructions, one on top of each other, still structurally sound. So let's begin. I think the Arc Patricians should probably remain the same way they are, with no knowledge of their founding chapter, Legion, or Primarch. I think this helps, because at the end of the day, I think it makes them more interesting if they are part of the many chapters who don't know who their Primarch is, and quite frankly, they don't care. Because why would they care? Doesn't matter if it was Robut Gulliman, Rogaldorn, or the Lion. Well, it doesn't really matter overall as much as it matters that they do their job to the Imperium. And a good job they are doing with that, I'm telling you. Now, regarding their founding, I think it's also good to keep it unknown for a while, for a big chunk of time. And you know what, just keep it unknown forever. They don't really know when they came into being. They might be a newer chapter before the Primaris came in and destroyed everything. They might be an older one. But what they do know for sure is that they've been here for some time. Though they have no clue when they started existing. And Imperial Records... Well don't really have anything that old on them. So, you know, it's contradicting in a way. It's nice. So right now, we already built a chapter that's more mysterious with that. But I just say, let's do something better. Let's give them personality. And how do we give them personality? Well, most of the time, the Auric Patricians went to war with different chapters at their side, different companies of different chapters. They fought alongside them and tried to cultivate a relationship of friendliness with them in such a way that while they might not share the same legion or the same founding Primarch, they should share a battle bond, a bond created in fire against the enemies, one that is stronger than, I don't know, the Imperial Guard, but everything's stronger than that. 
Then what's important is that they want to create an important bound, a strong bound with their Astartes cousins to be able to fight more coherently and better as a whole army. You might say they're preparing to be part of a giant army, and that would be true. That would be true. Now, during these expeditions and fights alongside other chapters that they had, they've gathered quite a few relics. You see, they don't have relics of their own. Relics that are there since time immemorial, that are the Auric Patricians. They got their relics from the different chapters they fought alongside with. For example... The apothecary of the Arc Patricians did such a good job saving the life of the seventh captain of the Blood Angels that the Blood Angels offered the apothecary a symbol. And it's just a normal symbol, the you know the dear uh, bloodshed, the blood uh, drop. Yes, the blood drop with the wings. Nothing that big, nothing that important overall, but they still took it and they cherish it. So much so that every time a new chief apothecary is named, he wears that symbol upon his shoulder pad. It's one of their things that they always try to get back whenever somebody dies, to get their relics and their gifts back. They tend to care about the stuff they received. Another example is how at one point they fought alongside the 5th company of the Imperial Fists, and thanks to their honor and bravery in battle, the Imperial Fists granted them with a power fist. Remember, these gifts are symbolical, but they still took it and now they use it as a chapter relic, one that, as you can imagine, the 5th captain wears into battle as a symbol of the friendship between the two chapters. These relics don't really get repainted. They stay the same color they were initially when they got them. And it kind of makes sense and it makes them look a little bit colorful when you have an elite unit filled with chapter relics on the battlefield. Another example is when they received a lightning claw from the Space Wolves. They tried to be friends with everybody, and they got gifts from most of the important chapters. They got a sword from the Black Templars, they got a flamer from Salamanders, they got the jump pack from the Raven Guard. But what's really important and interesting is that they tried to create a relationship of friendship with the Dark Angels. And the Dark Angels were not that keen to respond back to their friendship. They found it peculiar and a little bit strange and maybe we shouldn't interact with these people and so they didn't and because of that the orc patricians don't really have a relic from the dark angels which they try to remain to solve this problem they actively sought, seek out to fight alongside other unforgiven chapters but they also find them kind of strange, and it was it's not only them, many other chapters and captains find the whole friendliness thing a little bit unsettling. Even the sons of Vulcan, some might presume there are ulterior motives to these, but once you see that all their gifts and relics are just simple weapons, normal things for all the start, he's not even blessed, then you start to wonder... <laughs> If they're not just weird in general, but they might be. Their start is overall, they're not as much human as they are transhuman. 
Nevertheless, they're also not good at naming things. For example, the power fist they received from the Imperial Fist, fist they called it the Imperial Fist. The Lightning Claw? The Wolf's Claw. The Blood Droplet? The Blood Wing. The Jump Pack? Raven Wing. It's either not really that inventive when it comes to names, but I think it adds a nice and cute measure to them. Of course, they fought in many campaigns, and they're not really specialists at fighting anything in particular. Not Xenos, not Chaos, they fight a little bit of everything, and they're more generalists when it comes to their fighting tactics and their martial skills. Overall, their plan is to defeat the enemy by any means necessary. It doesn't really matter if they have to use more specialized formations and tactics against them. Again, they are still Codex compliant to an extent, I would say. This is one thing I would change. I would make I would keep them Codex compliant to an exchange because I think it would help a lot if the Auric Patricians venerated the Emperor as a god. Now, there aren't many Space Marine chapters that do that. The Black Templars are known for doing it, and I think there's a few others. So let's add the Auric Patricians to this list, because I think it would help with their character building. That's an interesting aspect. We add something that most Space Marines don't really believe in. Here's an important aspect and one that is so funny to me to add to them. The Auric Patricians don't really have a clue what's their Primarch and Legion, but they always expected it was the Dark Angels, because it's always the Dark Angels and the other Unforgiven chapters that never really want to deal with them. They don't really want to touch them, it's like they have cooties or something. So they kind of tend to presume eh, they might be our gene, you know, progenitors and stuff, but they don't really like us. So you know what? Let's just keep away. Let's, let's try with others. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it was funny to do that. Why not? Would it be the first time we have spawns of the lion that believe the emperor is a god? Probably not. But still, they still think it's unknown, they have just this speculation, much in the same way people speculated that the Blood Ravens are descendants from either the Blood Angels or the Raven Guard. Of course, there's also Thousand Suns theory, but we're not gonna get into it. As a gene flaw, the Auric Patricians don't have anything major. They still have all their working glands, and they don't really suffer from any mutation that will be out of the ordinary. They don't get obsidian skin, they don't get pale skin, neither do they become handsome or, you know, just spawn and in, transform into space werewolves at some point in time. Now, they seem to have a pretty stable gene seed, and that conclude, that makes many think that, yeah, you might, there might be close to the lion or Gulliman, or the ultramarines. And seeing how their codex compliant and almost every tactics of it, it really depends how you see it. But I think I spent enough time on this. Let's go back to their tactics. As I said, they're generalists overall. They don't really specialize in something over anything else. They like fighting with every style they can. And they try to master and perfect each type of combat. Now, of course, you know, when a space marine 
gets created, when you have a neophyte that turns into a scout, he has to go through all the specialist squads, scout, devastator, salt, tactical, and so on, and after that they get deployed into a certain squad where they will continue to serve until further things happen. But still, when they do this, when the Archpatricians do this whole process, they make sure to spend more time. Now, we don't really, I don't really have an estimate on how much time a neophyte spends in each squad. But I would like to think that there is a standard somewhere, like maybe it takes them two weeks on the battlefield for each role. I would like to think that they spend way more time in it, like keep them in a squad for a few years if possible. To the point where they can excel properly at their given task, no matter what that might be. I think it helps them and it gives them some interesting outlook and, well, perspective into the future. Because that way every member will be familiar with what the other units do. It also comes with a little bit of a drawback because this make Oh boy, this makes turning restrengthening the chapter a little bit harder. Losses are harder to recuperate from once your process takes so long and you might not be in the proper position to do that all the time. But still they try to keep to this tradition as much as possible and once they get, you know, completely up almostly destroyed and obliterated they try to build up slowly, and because of that, they kind of miss a bunch of time from war zones and fights they are in, always needing to go back and rearm themselves. Of course, this is a big problem, and that's why the apothecaries are thinking of ways to perfect this whole process, to somehow make it so that they can replenish faster, and maybe not suffer casualties just as fast. Nevertheless, they fought all manners of Xenos, Chaos, Heretics, Traitors, whatever you want to call them, they fought them all. But with that, they never really got more than one person in the Death Watch in their whole existence, and they don't really care that much about that, since the Death Watch is more of an interesting punishment for some. Not only in the chapter, but overall in the lore. But we'll get to that, we'll get to that another day. Still, they only got one person in the, oh, in the Death Watch, as well as the Overwatch, in the Death Watch. Not really big fans of that. They're trying to build up a legacy of their own. Since, at the end of the day, the Auric Patricians came with nothing, and all the gifts they receive in every battle they record down, they try to build their own culture and their old, their own traditions and their own history. Now, you might say, you know, how this can also be affected by the planet they come in, but the problem is they're a fortress monastery, okay? They're on a fortress monastery, they don't have a home planet. And because of that, they recruit from whenever wherever they can. So it becomes a little hard to maintain a proper culture and traditions once your chapter is filled with different ones. And because of that, they try to renounce 
the traditions and cultures from the home planets, from the places they came from, and built something of their own. Something that when future Orc patricians look at, they will see this is our chapter, this is our symbol, this is our history. In a way, you can say they are overly zealously trying to create a history as large as the first founding chapter, which is quite an impossible task, and they realize this, but it is in their duty to build something of this chapter to leave a legacy for those that will come after them. I think that makes them interesting, and I think that helps their lore quite a lot, and especially in this building lore. Since we're getting a little bit close, I recommend that if you'll enjoy these podcast videos to look out for my channel, Thergor, the half-heard antediluvian king on YouTube. Thergor just works. You can find it instantly. Just use those and subscribe if you want to see more because I do all manners of content on my YouTube channel and this, well, <laughs> well this is more available, quickly available to the podcast listeners, other videos appear on that that are also interesting. Now let's go back to our lore on the Auric Patricians. Now that we established them, gave them a history, gave them motives, decide to make some interesting aspects of them. They really haven't fallen to chaos. They had one or two members just leave the warband. The warband. <laughs> they left the chapter and became Chaos Lords, and when that happened, usually the Auric Patricians try to strike, or they try to strike at their fallen comrades with all the fury and might of their chapter, because they considered this an insult that they should not be forced to write upon their names. They shouldn't be forced to accept this. This is not the legacy they want to live, the legacy of traitors. And you know what? It's understandable. They don't want to be like the falling chapters before them. What else should we give them? Let's give them this. You know, since they fought with many other chapters at their side, they received plenty of small gifts and trinkets. They have an interesting collection in their armory. They have tech priests and sometimes mechanicus and priests, whatever, ministerum people, whatever they can to bless them. They, they bring them in to offer blessings to the Omnissiah, to the Emperor, and to the Machine Spirit, I guess, to those weapons and those relics they use occasionally in the most important times of war. And they do this because they try to, as I said, they try to build their own thing and make these relics important. The blessings don't do much, I'm gonna be honest. And since they're not the blood ravens to just nick everything that's important to another chapter, they their value isn't that high. And many chapters look at those gifts and their armory as not really being something out of the ordinary. There is no claim to something that was part of Dorne's armor or something that was at one point were by the lion, or something that Sanguinius blessed with his presence. At the end of the day, they don't really have that, and many chapters look at this as a weird quirk of theirs, but at the end of the day, they're willing to give them something. Of course, the Dark Angels aren't the only chapter that refused to this, because once the Auric Patricians found themselves fighting alongside the Minotaurs, 
and the Carcodons, the Space Sharks. And neither of those two chapters were that willing to give them anything. They were more focused on dealing or doing their mission, doing their job, and then leaving. Because of that, our little golden boys didn't really get anything. I guess you can't have anything. I guess you can't have anything in the Imperium, in Detroit in this case. But still, nevertheless, they managed to do it on. Wait, at some point, try to nick. Well, it's not as much Nick as is find a random knife from a space shark and they took it in and themselves. They don't really have to know they lost it and the Orc Patricia suspect that the space sharks know, but it was just a knife and they didn't really care that much. Still, it's not always all friendship and roses with them. Because when it comes to battle and those that would hurt humanity, they get very vicious. You see, they are still space marines, angels of death created by the Emperor. And because of that, oh boy, mercy fall upon any who dare fight against the angels of death. Of course, they are as good and as valiant and as strong as any other chapter of the Adeptus Astartes. And they're over idea of being generalists might seem like a detriment. They are jack-of-all-trades at the end of the deal, but when the jack-of-all-trades can punch you with rockets and swords at the same time, then you might start to wonder that maybe they're onto something. Maybe they do have something going on. The Auric Patricians have got it going on. Nevertheless, that let's move on. I think it's important to give them some campaigns in this. Let's say they were part of the War of Armageddon, not much of it, not a big chunk of it. They appeared in random parts and fought orcs, whatever they could. They also dealt some time with the Tau Empire and its expansionist behavior, sometimes defeating them, but other times being defeated by the Tau. The Elders instead, the Elders have been a peculiar, peculiar problem for them, mostly because Whenever they dealt with the Eldars, the Eldars seemed to want to help them a little bit, but always ended up backstabbing them, and the Orc Patricians suffered losses during that time. And that made them... Let's say they don't really like the Eldar anymore. They got to the point where they got backstabbed and hurt because of the Eldar so many times, because they believed their lies, that at this point, if they see an Eldar, it uh, should first ask questions later. Usually, th there are no questions to be asked after they shoot first. But this um, policy against the Eldar expands to the Dark Eldar, the Craftworld Eldar, Dainari, the Harlequins. Any type of Eldar they see, they will shoot on sight. It happened once that a group of... Eldars, Avinaris, those that Guliman brought with him, were with a patrol at some point, and once the Auric Patricians saw them, they started firing upon the Eldars. It was only with the command of a chapter master that was accompanying the Eldars, Ultramarine successor chapter master, who intervened and made them lower their weapons. But still, the Auric Patricians promised that if they saw Eldar, they would shoot on sight. 
They were making, giving them something interesting. They hate, they hate Eldar. How long can one man be backstabbed by a whole race until he decides, you know what, the Eldar never did anything good for us. The Eldars always backstabbed us and they always call us monkeys. So you know what, I did, the Eldar got it coming. You know what, I think this is a proper place to end the story of the Auric Patricians. We gave them depth, we gave them nuance, and in my opinion, I think we tried and build something more interesting for them, especially when you consider they have nothing. So, I hope you enjoy this, and I'll see you in the next one.